turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Turning points. Each one of us has faced turning points in our lives. These critical times when we make a decision that will affect the future of our lives. And throughout all of Scripture, we discover that there are many turning points that people have faced. Adam and Eve, back in the garden, were confronted by the serpent. And there was a turning point. Noah was told to build an ark in the midst of a great arid region. And there was a turning point. Abraham was told to go into an unknown world, and God would lead him and direct him, yet the Scripture says he did not know where he was going. A turning point. Samson, Delilah, what is the secret to your strength? There was a turning point. The three Hebrews, bow or burn, a turning point. Daniel, would he pray or would he become prey to the lions? John, defend or deny the Lord. Saul, Paul, preach or be persecuted. Unsaved people are in turning points. When presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, a decision must be made. They can either believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved or reject Christ, reject God's love, and enter eternity without Christ. And even saints, saints, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, an active kind of love or just kind of lounge around and be very comfortable in our Christian life. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah faced four different turning points. The first one was that the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? But Jonah ran. He fled from the presence of the Lord, or at least he thought he would. But the Lord hurled a great wind at, at Jonah. And how did Jonah respond to that turning point? He was asleep in the bottom of the ship. This affected the mariners. And the mariners cast question, cast lots to, to, to find out who was responsible for this. And it fell upon Jonah. And Jonah then responded to that. Who said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord Jehovah God who made heaven and dry. A turning point. And then the mariner said, Jonah, what can we do to get relief? And Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. Turning points in their lives. So they picked Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the last verse in chapter 1 is that the Lord had appointed, prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We now come to another turning point in Jonah's life. What would Jonah do? How would Jonah respond? 
Let me take it out of that context and put it in this context. What would we do? How would you and I respond to such an event in our lives? Well, there are several responses that we could have. First response is that we could just simply die in the belly of the whale. It's all over. I quit. I give up. I'm gone. A second response is that we could get despondent. We could despair to bitterness and say, why did this happen to me? Why me, Lord? Third response is that we could see our dependence upon God and perhaps even seek the deliverance of God from our lives. Turning point. Chapter 2 tells us a little bit about how Jonah responded. Because the writer opens with these words. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed. And to whom did he pray? Jehovah is God. Now I want to unpack that just a little bit because it's important to recognize where Jonah looked for deliverance. He looked to Jehovah. And it's important that we understand a little bit about Jehovah. Anytime in your Bibles that you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's a translation of the word Jehovah. And Jehovah is the sovereign, all-powerful, self-existent one. Jonah turned to the powerful, sovereign, self-existent one. But not only to turn to Jehovah, Jehovah is identified as his God. Jonah had a personal relationship with his God. Now, I asked the question early on, what do you think Jonah was doing when the word of the Lord came to him? Was he out minding his own business? I, I kind of think that Jonah might have been fishing. Wouldn't that have been an interesting thing for God to call Jonah while he's out fishing? Maybe he was having a, I don't know what he was doing. But I do know this, Jonah had a personal relationship with Jehovah, and Jonas identifies that personal relationship when he says, His God. Someone who is involved, someone who is invested, someone who is interested in his life. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in very difficult circumstances and we wonder where God went. Let me tell you something, that when you find yourself there, you can still understand a personal relationship with God, one who is invested, one who is involved, one who is interested. In fact, it is our God who sees everything that takes place in our lives. In fact, Jesus said that our Heavenly Father knows what our needs are even before we ask. A God who takes notice of the sparrow who falls, a God who counts every hair on our head, a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, our God. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to know that we can have a personal relationship with a sovereign Jehovah God? And then Jonah identifies him as God. 
The word is Elohim. Elohim talks about the greatness and glory of God. The governing power of God. The omnipotent one. This is the word that's used in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So as we see Jonah's response to this turning point in his life, Jonah recognized that it is Jehovah, the sovereign creator God, the omnipotent one, who he has a relationship with that he can look to out of his desperation. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, saying, we want to look at prayer this morning, and I want to give you six principles that I trust will help you in your prayer life. I trust that this will be an encouragement to you this morning because when you and I face turning points, we need not only to know where to go, but we need to know why we can go there. And Jonah, in his life, recognized that that was where he could go. I want to read the text for us. I want to read Jonah chapter 2, beginning with verse 2, and I want to go down through verse 9. And then we're going to go and unpack this prayer that Jonah prayed. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land where, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Six lessons that we can find from Jonah's life that will help us understand something about prayer. The first lesson is this, problems drove Jonah to pray. Now that's an obvious lesson, isn't it? And it was problems that brought Jonah to a place where he had to call upon the name of the Lord his God. So many times in our lives, we live lives as practical atheists. We kind of go about life at our own pace, with our own resources, Saying, God, I'll call upon you when I need you. Other than that, I can handle it. Many times we treat God like the spare tire in our trunks. How many of you drove to church this morning? How'd the rest of you get here? Those of you who drove, how many of you have spare tires? Now, why do you have a spare tire? 
Huh? Okay, you have a spare tire, so if you get a flat, if a crisis happens, you can pull off the side of the road, you can call AAA, they can come and give you assistance, jack up your car for you, pull your spare tire out of your trunk, put the damaged tire back in the trunk, you can go on your merry way, you'll get the damaged tire fixed, you put it back on your car, throw the spare back in your trunk, and things are just good. Amen? You know, that's the way we treat God a lot of times. Now, I would suggest to you that none of us who drove here this morning having a spare tire in our trunk checked to see whether or not it was blown up before we left our houses. We just expect it to be, right? And when that crisis happens... We expect it to be right there for us so that we can put it on our cars and go on our way. How do you think God feels when we treat him like that? Not really checking with him, not really having that close relationship with him, not really recognizing that he wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives and only approach him when we have problems. Problems should drive us to pray. And Jonah says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. The word distress there has the idea of hostility. Jonah was in a hostile place. The end of chapter 1 says that he was in that place for three days and three nights. And as I said last week, Nighttime minutes are a whole lot longer than daytime minutes. And Jonah was in a place with only nighttime minutes for three days and three nights. It was indeed a hostile place. And and there was no relief. Jonah couldn't go to the neighbors and ask if their power was working. He was alone. It was dark. It was damp. It was uncomfortable. In the text it says that weeds formed around him. You ever have somebody come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and you didn't expect it? My dear wife. She loves me anyway. This past week, she was downstairs in her chair. She gets the lazy boy. I just get the couch. And she was probably checking Facebook. And I walked behind her and I went, Oh, you're right, Eric. You're about ready to get married. You're right. No, no, no. That was not the right thing to do. I put her in distress. I almost put her in cardiac arrest. (laughs) We got through it. You still love me, honey? (laughs) That that took much too long. (laughs) But I want you to think about Jonah. 
It was problems that drove Jonah to pray. And in this hostile environment, in this persecuted environment, Jonah lifts up his voice to the Lord his God. No question. How bad do things have to get before we call upon our God? Before we take or trust them to our God? Problems drove Jonah to pray. David, before Saul in 2 Samuel says, In my distress I cried to my Lord. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus prayed and prayed to the Father with such earnestness that Drops of sweat like blood flowed from him and said, Is it possible for this cup to pass from me? Peter and John were thrown in prison in Acts. And the threatening that took place in their lives as they were governed by the Romans who had just taken the life of their Savior. In my distress, I called upon God. But not only did problems drive Jonah to pray, Jonah realized that he was in a desperate situation. I want you to look at the text. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. For you cast me into the deep, heart of the seas, floods surrounded me, your waves and your billows passed over me. A desperate, desperate situation. He says, I'm cast into the deep. Now, I don't know what you know about the Mediterranean Sea. But the Mediterranean Sea is a deep, deep place. The average depth of the Mediterranean Sea is about 4,900 feet down. That's almost a mile. The deepest place in the Mediterranean Sea is some 17,280 feet, a little over three miles down. This is where Jonah was. It wasn't like he was in the deep end of the pool. It wasn't like he could could look up and see the light. Jonah's in a desperate situation. He is cast in the deep. He's surrounded by what is described as a a flood. The waters closed over him, so he thought he was going to die. And the scripture says that the weeds... Wrapped around his head, the end of verse 5. Not a pretty sight. A number of years ago, Connie and I were in Santa Monica. We were walking down the boardwalk, the the beach walk there in Santa Monica, and we smelled him before we saw him. There was a guy walking down the, the, the boardwalk there, dressed only in seaweed. It was not a pretty sight. 
on a number of fronts. That's where Jonah is. In a desperate situation. Have you been there? Have you understood how desperate things could be? And let me tell you how desperate it got. Verse 4 says, I am driven away from your sight. Now, you remember that Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. And now we discover that he's in the belly of the fish and and he is driven away from the sight of the Lord. He's, He's wondering, does God even know where I am? Does God recognize how desperate my situation is? Does God know what I'm struggling with? What my emotions are? That I... Out of options. What does God know? You ever been there? I've not been there often, but I've been there. And you just don't know what to do because you've arrived at the end of your resources. You don't know what else to do I've done all I can do and I'm still where I am and there is absolutely no relief and verse 7 says his life was fainting away as I said I've not been there often but I've been there I've been there when I didn't know which end was up. I've been there when I didn't know what else to do. I've been there when nothing at all seemed to work. I've been there. end of my rope somebody said when you find yourself at the end of the rope tie a knot and hang on but I've been there when I've been hanging on so long I didn't know whether I had enough strength to hang on much longer that's Jonah it's exactly where he is But I like the next phrase in verse 7, don't you? I remembered Jehovah. I remembered the Lord. It's too bad that Jonah waited this long to remember the Lord. (laughs) It's too bad that Jonah didn't recognize what God was trying to do in his life a bit earlier. And here's where the prayer gets good. 
because Jonah begins to recognize that Jehovah, you alone, our God. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now, Jonah talks about others who pray, others who pray to vain gods. And when they pray to vain gods, they, they have no hope and there's no steadfast love because everything is, is empty. But Jonah recognized where his help came from. And it came from God. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I will trust in the Lord my God. It's critical when we pray to recognize that God alone is able to meet the needs of our lives. It's a dependence upon God and an understanding that He is interested and invested in our life. Now, I say invested. What did He invest in our lives? He invested the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die for me, for you. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Romans tells us that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Never forget that he alone as God has invested in our lives. To the point that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die for me. And there is absolutely nothing greater than that. They forsake the hope of steadfast love. But you alone are God. And then he entered into God's presence. My prayer came to you, verse 7 again. Into your holy temple. Now the holy temple was a sacred dwelling place of God. God's people cried out in Egypt, God sent them to deliver us, Moses. And then God delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, but delivered them into the wilderness. Oh, what kind of deliverance was that? But as they went into the wilderness, God went with them. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. As they went into the wilderness, they developed a place where they could worship God. And it was called the tabernacle. As God established them in the promised land, David said, I dwell in a house of cedars, but God dwells in a tent. Let's build for him a temple. And they did under the leadership of Solomon. And it was a holy place. Not only was it a holy place, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. 
where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat of God and the priests took the blood and put it on the mercy seat so that the people could have a proper relationship with God. Holy temple. We entered God's presence. As Solomon was getting ready to build the temple, God said to him, my name shall be there. It is there I will listen to your prayer. It is there that I will listen to your plea. Whatever your prayer, whatever your plea, I will be there. And in his prayer, he determined that he was going to follow God's will. Jonah recognized that he would follow God's will. Do you see it there in verse 9? But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to I will be thankful. Are you thankful for what God's doing in your life? We say it and repeat it almost by rote. God is good all the time. But what happens when you have a crisis? How good is God at that time? What happens when you're at the end of your resources? How good is God at that time what happens when you're struggling and not sure which direction to go how good is God at that time the reality God is still good all the time and all the time God is still good Scripture tells us in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I will be thankful. But not only will I be thankful, I will sacrifice. Have you thought about sacrifice recently? Sometimes we'll talk about sacrificial giving. And, and we'll, we'll say that that's giving till it hurts. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to present our bodies living sacrifices. And that presentation demands that we are holy and acceptable unto God for his worship. What was the last thing you sacrificed to God? I mean, really sacrificed. Jonah says, I'm going to sacrifice. And not only that, I am going to keep the promises. I am going to keep the vows. I am going to follow through with the commitments that I have given to you. I will pay what I have vowed. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all about him and not about me. 
salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. There it is. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. And I think the phlegm and the vomit was the best thing that Jonah had seen in three days. Amen is right. This is as good as it gets. Jonah is now on dry land. Now, I want us to go back to our map. Because it's important that we understand what took place here. Jonah is down in Israel. I want you to see that. And God originally told him to go up to Nineveh. I want you to see that. Should be some stars there. There. Okay. Jonah went to flee from the presence of the Lord down to Joppa. And caught a boat going to Tarshish, which is to the end of the world. After three days and three nights, God speaks to the fish and he vomits Jonah up on dry land. And that long line is the dry land. Do you see that Nineveh was not a coastal city? Do you recognize that Jonah, in order to fulfill God's word in his life still has a lot of work to do he still has some two three hundred miles to Nineveh a good day's travel is 20 miles so he has 10 15 maybe 20 days that it's going to take him to get to Nineveh and he doesn't call Delta and make a reservation, and catch the next flight out of dry land to Nineveh. Jonah still has some struggles in his life. Now, what can we learn from these things? Let me share with you three truths. Number one, God's will does not change because it's God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And in the midst of that, Jonah has a turning point, right? And Jonah then determines that he is going to get up and go. So what does this mean? God's word has not changed. God's word has not changed. God's will, God's word, is designed to change us. And even when we determine to follow God's word, the path, is not always easy. I sometimes think 
Ah, Jonah, he just didn't have much faith. Poor Jonah. I'd have listened the first time. But then then I recognize I'm just like Jonah. Now, I have never been three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. But there have been times in my life when I have known exactly what God wanted me to do and I didn't do it. How about you? And during those times, some of those times, God has brought me to a place where I was out of options, out of resources. I started to understand the only thing I could do is turn to God. Find his holy temple and dedicate my life to doing what he wanted me to do no matter what. No matter how expedient something else was, no matter how comfortable something else was, no matter how culture wanted me to do something else, no matter how the climate wanted me to I had to determine to do what God told me to do. And that's the only way I got out of the belly of the whale. And once out, it still wasn't easy. But it was doable because it was God's will for my life. And you can recognize it's God's will 